chapter 4. It's not too long. That's all of it right there. It says this. And he came to Nazareth. You know who he is. Where he had been brought up, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Thus it says, Well, during the weeks that we call Lent, that are moving ahead and looking ahead to the, to the, uh, the days that we will celebrate and worship, those holy days, it is often uh, what you do is to look at the ministry of Jesus. You know, we, we do Advent and Christmas season. This is the coming and the birth. And then, of course, we get to that last week of events. But it's good during Lent to put some focus on what about those years of ministry? I mean, it was just a matter of months, really, a fairly short amount of time. All of that that happened, and there's a lot of it to read, it all began, really, here, in this passage here. It all started in this time. He decides the time is right to go public. Time to go public. Like a stock. Isn't that what they do? You know, they go public. From that moment on, of course, once he's out there, and once he goes public, and he starts to do all the things that you read in the Gospels that he went around doing, and starts to say all those things that you read in the Gospels that he went around saying, why, he only... that I mean, that, that stuff just made him more and more and more public. Wherever he went, news starts to spread. And everywhere it goes, this guy, the stuff he does, the stuff he says, everywhere, what's going on, he's public and they know him, and they know about him. And it started here. Well-known passage begins where he stands up. Now, he sort of had had a little bit of an introduction because he got baptized. Remember that? And there was a little bit of a, of a kind of a coming out there because John sort of, you know, proclaimed it. And John's down there. He's the forerunner. He's that last kind of Old Testament style of prophet. And he's... You know, but he's not saying, look at me, 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 I'm the one, look at me. Instead, he's saying, him, 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 he's the one. He's the one. I will fade. You know, and he had followers and he was making a splash. I mean, and I don't, not, yeah, pun intended, down there at the river. He was making a real splash, but he said, I, I'll be like the stars when the sun comes out. He must increase and I must decrease. This is about him, not me. So he had sort of had that kind of introduction. But now he's going to kind of introduce himself in very bold terms and appealing to prophecy to say, here I am. You have read about it. 
and here I am. Well, all of us live, to some extent or another, we live public lives. Do we not? We live among people. You're out there. You go out there and you're with people and you're among the people. And it's all around, they're all around you. And some of those people know you better than other of those people. Some of them just know about you or just met you. But you're in and among them. And to know you means that they kind of know, you know, your ways of life. Some of your beliefs, maybe all of your beliefs. They know to some extent your values, your priorities, your points of view about things, what you think is important. They might know kind of how and where, the ways in which you spend resources, your time, your money. And that's true about you. I mean, you work somewhere. A lot of you work somewhere. You work somewhere. You work with people, probably. I mean, I mean these days a lot of people just work from home. But then your, your co-workers are on the Internet with you, zooming in and out, doing all this. They know you. They see you. They hear what you have to say. Maybe you're in school. You frequent places, and the people there know you. You've got circles, or as we say, spheres, right, of public life. And you're out there. And today we would have to add this one. Are you online? Yeah, we're all online one way or another. You you do some social media? Well, then now you're out there in a different way. You're public. Right? You post it. Lots of people see it. And... All of this makes us all public to that extent, even though it, see, being public doesn't mean you're, quote, famous. We're not famous. I mean, we, we enjoy some relative anonymity. I mean, you can go places. I can go places. I take it and be pretty unbothered by people, right? Go out here and there and not worry about, who is everyone watching me? Is everyone looking at me? Is everyone, oh, no. You know, some people wish for that. Some people want fame. I want to go. I want to be. I want everyone to recognize me. They want to. I go out. I step out, and they know me. Do you really, though? It sounds great in theory, maybe, because you think they'll all love me. Well, they won't all love you. Again, now with the internet, it's even worse. Uh, that some of them will love you, and some of them will hate you. You don't have to be, though, famous in that way. You can. You can be. Just another face in the crowd, if I may quote the great prophet Tom Petty. And you and you just, you know, you go about your business, you do what you do, you blend in, but you're still in public. I mean, you're still a person known by some people. And so to that extent, and this is this part's important, I dare say it, that it is meant to be. That that is by design, that it is most likely God's will, in fact, for you, that you are public, that you do live in and among people, that you recreate yourself and do the things you do out there among the people, that you are in public. Be very few exceptions to this, I would think, in terms of God's calling on people. So like Jesus himself, you are called as in this, to this extent, in the same way, as he was called to be in the world. But of course, he was not of the world. And nor are we. We who are believers, we're in the world and we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. You can sort of call that point number one today. That is the main 
Point number one, it's the simplest of all, just that you are in the world. You know, God could have sent His Son, the Word could have been flesh, as the Nicene Creed said that we read earlier, very God, very God, begotten, not made, through whom the world was created. He could have, that could have all happened, and He could have just lived really privately. He could have come, walked among His creation, enjoyed it, see what it's like to have a physical body, and... You know, enjoy food. What's that like? All he could have done all that just very, very private, just live out of the way, off as like a hermit. He could have been a monk. But of course, would he have fulfilled his purpose that way? Would we have a gospel that we preach? Would we have the hope we have had he come, the word became flesh, and dwelt in a cave? The word became flesh and lived out there outside it outside of town, outside of the city, and kept to himself. So we got to be public. we got to be in the world. Don't shun it. You're called to it. But then secondly, sometimes you got to open your mouth. We are called, at least at times and in circumstances, to speak. Jesus walked into there, and he went up there to the front, and he read, and he said stuff. He said stuff. This is sort of his first act of public ministry, really, is to open his mouth and speak. Directly from Scripture at first, and then he expounded thereupon. It's not a bad idea to begin with Scripture. I try to begin every sermon up here with the text. I want the text up front. I want the text primary. I want it to be really clear that everything hereafter is expounding and explaining and illuminating. But it's the text that's the centerpiece and center stage here. There are some sermons that I've heard where the text is hard to find, if ever even brought up. And that's a problem. Jesus shows the way here. He, He stands up and he begins with the authoritative word, even though... He is the authoritative word. But he still shows that example. Did he realize when he did this that some people might be a little confused? Especially what he said thereafter. We'll get to I'll read you some more of what happened thereafter. It's enough that he read it and he sat down and it says they're they're sort of staring at him. Partly because they know him. See, he started off as public in the small sphere just as town, then that would grow over time. But in the beginning, that's who knows him the most, is the people in his town. And they're all looking at him. Hey, isn't that, isn't that Joseph's boy? Wow. Really stands and speaks with, with some authority. Impressive. Did he know, though, that they might say that, be, that, that they might have some questions? And then ultimately they might get a little irritated by some of what he said as he began to explain those words. And even hostile, of course he knew all that. And again, again he could have come into the world and just stayed quiet. He could have just kept his mouth shut. He could have even gone around doing some things. He could have gone to some towns and healed some people, but not said much about it. And they would have said, wow, the silent healer. The quiet man, the stranger, you know, he comes into town, he doesn't say anything. Like in those old westerns, 
You know, hardly says a word. He just comes into your little town somewhere out there, outside of, you know, somewhere in the Judean countryside. He walks into your town. You know, tumbleweeds blow behind him. Kind of squints in the sun. Sees a man needs to be healed. He just walks up to him. And he just heals him. And they say, who are you, stranger? He just says nothing. Just walks out of town, you know? Occasionally he might go in for a shave. Or whatever, you know? (laughs) Going for a haircut. A little off the top, barber. And that's it. He could have just said very, very little. And they just would have said, wow, amazing man. But we don't know what he thinks. We don't know what he really believes. We don't know who he is. He just doesn't, he don't talk much. But that was not the purpose of God in these, in the three short years of his ministry. He had things to say. There was a lot of truth to convey to the people. And he did so. And we don't even get it all because, you know, as, the, as John says, if, if, he wrote, if he wrote it all down, I mean, my hand would be real tired. There wasn't enough parchment printed for all that. Uh, so I gave you the highlights. You know, he's had a lot to say to them privately in his own. There were, there were things you never privy to. But we do get a lot. We have four witnesses. And there is a lot that he said. Now, as we said, I stopped reading at verse 20. But I'll give you some more. Because some of you know what verse 21 says after that. That, the, that after they're amazed, they're looking at him, whoa. And then he begins to say to them as he expounds, he begins to say to them, Today, this scripture, this thing you just heard from the prophet Isaiah, is fulfilled in your hearing. Now that's amazing enough. The words of the Bible, by the way, when it says the scroll, you picked up a scroll, the Greek word biblion. It's like a book. He's reading from Bible. Well, when the words of Scripture are read, they can evoke different responses. Right? They can evoke some different responses. Not everyone reacts exactly the same way to Words coming from God. Words of the Bible can be read depending on which words they are, the context, the circumstances, and the receive the recipient, the hearer. And sometimes, sometimes beyond just the reading of the word, the explanation, uh, the further application, can also evoke things. As as Scripture is illumined and applied. Well, you get different responses there too, don't you? And some people may love what they hear, and it may shed light on things in their life. And they may say, wow, I understand things that I didn't understand before. And maybe conviction falls on some, but some may not like it. And some even may like it one minute and kind of hate it the next. As the explanation goes on, are there words from the Bible you know that you could quote publicly that people might like to hear? Probably. Are there some that you can probably already imagine that if you quoted those, people it may not get the best reception? Probably. Probably. And we could just only ever mention the ones that tend to be more liked and never the ones that are not liked. Jesus 
could have done that himself. He could have said only the things that that would poll the best. You know, like we've done several surveys and we find that when you Jesus, when you quote these passages and say these things, you know, it tends to poll well. You get high favorability. Uh, but on the other hand, we find that when you say these kind of things and you quote these kind of things, not so good. And you got some uh, low, lower numbers, lower poll numbers on those. Did Jesus care? Jesus just gave him the truth. So even here at the beginning of his ministry, in this context, he says some things and they and it says that they like it at first. They it says they testified about him. Uh, other translations said they spoke well of him, and they were amazed and they were saying, "Isn't this Joseph's son? Wow!" And that sounds kind of positive. It sounds kind of positive. They marvel at him and maybe they're a little impressed with who this. This boy has become, he's grown into a man now. He's an adult, and wow, he's he's really something the way he does that. But then he keeps talking. And the more he explains more fully everything this means. I mean, he's already said, this is fulfilled. That, And what is it that's fulfilled? I mean, the Spirit of the Lord has, is upon me, has anointed me. You know what word he's saying there when he says has anointed me? It's the Greek word for Christ. It's the word for Messiah. He's making a claim here. It's fairly bold. And and so far, even though they've heard such a bold claim, they're still going, wow, that's Joseph's son. That's amazing. Maybe this not, hasn't quite registered what it means. So he continues to explain what this is meaning, what this means and what this will mean. The fact that this is fulfilled, and he's and in doing so, he has to tell them how this means that some will reject him. Even among the Jews, many will reject him, and that many non-Jews will embrace him. And by verse 28, the mood has swung. As they like to say, the worm has turned. Here's what it says, verse 23. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your own hometown. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, but the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed. But only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were enraged. The NIV says they were furious. The King James says they were full of wrath. They were mad. And as, as they often say today, boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, weren't they just saying, wow. We marvel at him. And speaking well of him, and only a little more explanation of what the what the word means. A little more explanation, a little more application, and now, boy, they are just beside themselves. They're just bent with anger. Can that happen? Some people in our culture have seen really up close and personal like what enraged 
people look like, what furious looks like, when they have taken certain stands for things, truths they won't compromise on, and that other people don't like. And for that, they get to see what fury is. They get to see the wrath of the public, much of the public, turned against them. And people just let their rage out. And one of the odd things is, you know, today everything gets captured because everyone's walking around with a pretty good camera in their hand. And I know you've all seen videos of people in public losing it because people like to upload these. Have you guys seen this? People who believe in a cause or, I don't know, they're, they're against a certain thing. And, and, and instead of just saying it or on a corner yelling it maybe even just or holding a sign some people just are so mad about whatever the thing is that they'll go crazy and you see them in public places just i don't know just acting insane about their cause or something and they're mad about something they don't like they don't like the way some people view things the way some people believe and they just don't know what to do about it and so what they do about it is they're just they just their rage just just goes wild on them, and they'll even just tear stuff up and do things. Jesus did not really, for some reason, I mean, he had his reasons to to come out of obscurity and and proclaim himself publicly here, and not only just to do that in, in sort of in brief terms, but to go ahead and just uh, get down to business. He didn't see the need, I guess, to beat around the bush here in his hometown. I mean, he knows, he foresees that they're not going to, they're not all going to accept me. Some of them are going to really despise the kind of Messiah that I am, and they'll reject me outright and seek to kill me. And he really just didn't uh, meander around. He just went ahead and broke the ice, as they say. He just ripped the band-aid off here, you know, so to speak. The people in his town um, were destined, some of those people were just destined to hate his message. And so he just took the straightforward approach and went ahead and just told them what it means and got skipped all the preliminaries, you know, so that they could know where he stands and who he is and what it all means and go ahead and let them respond as they would. The main overarching point here is, is the calling of Jesus to go public. And everything it meant to be public and to do all the things he did and to say all the things he said. It's an example of obedience. Jesus' public life was an act of obedience. It was characterized by obedience. Here he was. He was before the public. He was in front of the public. And he lived his life in the public eye, before the public. But he was not beholden to them. He was not. Be- they were not his Lord. They were not who he was bound to please. He was bound to please someone else. And he knew that. He could be in public and before the public and not beholden to the public, not enslaved to their opinion. That's not easy. A lot of people today in our culture have learned that's hard. Because the public will is very strong. The public will is powerful. It holds such a grip on people, and it can turn them. It can make them change their view or say they changed their view. And they would have liked for Jesus to take it back and recant. And don't say those things you're saying. Say the things we like to hear. 
We like you and all. You do miracles. It's really cool. We're really into it. We just don't like some of your message. Change it. Change it or else. But Jesus was about his father's business. See, a man who can do miracles can get a lot of followers. And he could have gotten more followers. Probably. And, and he could have achieved, by the world standards, he could have achieved a greater, wider fame. Obviously, he could have lived much longer on the earth without mortal enemies who wanted him dead and brought it about. He could have lived out long, long, long life gathering and gathering those followers until he was the greatest of all people. He could have found his way into bigger positions of power and influence. If that had been the will of God, he could have done that. But to do that, he, he might have needed to tweak some things. By the way, Satan even tempted him in that direction, didn't he? You can be famous, man. You can be more famous than you can have. I mean, look at the greatest kings over here. Look at the people who have. the. You can have more with your abilities, with what you can do. You can bring this world to heal under yourself. I mean, you could have the entire globe eating out of the palm of your hand if that's what you want. But that would not have been obedience. That would not have been the will of God. And you see, this the followers of Jesus carry on in this way with this command. And Paul said to the Galatians, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? Or of God, which am I doing? If I were still trying to please people, he said, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's not the route I would take if that's what I, if that was my goal. If people-pleasing was my calling and ambition in life, uh, I'm doing it wrong. But that's not my calling in life. A few chapters later in Luke, from what we read in Luke 9, it says that when the, well, when the days drew near, and here we get a little closer to to the, to the culmination of Lent, you know, when the days draw near for him to be taken up, you know what it says he did? He set his face to, to go to Jerusalem. Meaning, a little idiom there, meaning he said, he, he marked it down and he made a plan and he said, I'm doing it. I, there's going to be a lot, my flesh might say, don't do it. <laughs> and a lot of people around me may say, don't do it. But this is the will of God and I'm doing it. Come what may. Obedience for him. At, because he was still a man. More than a man, but no less than a man. And so obedience was not easy. And his flesh had a hard time obeying. It's just that unlike us, he was able to command his flesh. to obey. He was, he, he was able to achieve the kind of full mastery over the sinful man that you and I can't perfectly achieve, have not, and in this life will not perfectly achieve. So he was able to do it. He became obedient. The book of Philippians says, how obedient did he become? To the point of death. That's full-on obedience right there, to be obedient all the way to death. In our time, in our culture now, it's sad to say this, but honestly, cowardice is rampant in our culture. One of the things, one of the virtues it's most scarce today, really, is just courage. But obedience requires courage. If you if you don't have some courage, you you just can't be obedient to God, because He's going to call you to walk through a few areas you'd rather not walk through. They're a little bit scary. 
particularly when it comes to public opinion. But there are so many people today who just cannot handle that pressure. And some of them have a lot of those great things I mentioned just already. There are I'm not talking about the lowly person who who could get, you know, fired and who who has real threats on them. People overseas who could get thrown in jail if they comply. Some of those people truly have courage. A lot of people overseas who have little to nothing have a lot more courage than a lot of people who have a lot. There are people today who have high position, all the money in the world. They're powerful. They're known to everyone. And they're absolute cowards. They're just, they cow. They just cow. To, they're servile. It's kind of pathetic. You know what I'm talking about, too. And when, and when public opinion tells them, take back what you said, they say, okay, I take it back. I'm so sorry I said what I really think. I'm so sorry. And when they say, now say this thing that we like. Say it. Like a hostage video. They say it. It's just cowardice. They've done, they've done these polls where they ask people um, what they really think, and it's private. And when people can say what they think without the, when it's not public, when they haven't gone public with it, it's amazing it doesn't line up with what, every, what, what public opinion is. See what I'm saying? But when it's private, they don't really even think what they... They're pretending to think things they don't. And then other polls will ask them... Um, they'll ask them whether or not they're afraid to say what they really think. At school, at work, wherever they are. And across the board, in all different spheres and areas of life, it's, it's a shocking number of percentage of people who will say, yes, I cannot say what I think. Where I live, where I work, in my family, wherever. I can't say what I think. I won't say it. I'm too afraid. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's too much trouble. It's too much. It's too many headaches. It's, I can't, I can't bear the blowback on what would happen to me if I said what I really think. So I, so I nod along and I pretend to say. And sometimes even being quiet isn't enough because they'll come for you. And some powerful people learn this. There, I, I was reading this week. There was a very, very powerful person uh, who, who is, who is over. Some, uh, an, ent- an entity, let's say, an entertainment that is, I can't, you can't even get any more powerful than this entity. I mean, they are extremely powerful. And he just tried, he just tried to stay out of it. Did not say anything. But they came, they, they hunted him down. And they said, we noticed you haven't said anything. You're not saying the things we want you to say that we like to hear. Why aren't you? Your silence is violence. Sometimes your speech is violence, and sometimes your silence is violence. It's a little bit contradictory. And guess what he did? You know what he did. He said what they wanted him to say. He's too afraid to do otherwise. If you're going to be obedient, you've got to follow the example of Jesus, who from right out of the gate... From the start of his public life, had to say the whole truth, including good things that were pleasant to the ears, including some things that weren't so pleasant to other people's ears. He just had to speak the truth in love and let the chips fall. This was the will of God for him. This is the will of God for all of you. Because here in Lent, we are focusing on the worship of the one of whom the prophet said that the, that the spirit of Yahweh was upon him. That he was truly Mashiach. He was anointed to proclaim 
The good news, euangelion it says, evangelize is what the word is there. He was proclaim, sent to proclaim the good news. The good news is good even if some people don't like it. They just don't understand it. Or, there, or sin won't let us encounter what the good news is. Have you always welcomed the good news about, and not, not just the chief message of good news, even that some of you, some of you could testify. You rejected it for a long time. Or you rejected it. For, and, then, and then other pieces of news, other revelation from God about how you should live. Did you always just welcome it, accept it fully? No, we kick against the goads and we we buck the system sometimes. So how much more the non-believer? But in the end, we are proclaiming this. Liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We thank you, God, for the word, a good word. It's always a good word, though this good word cuts. It's a weapon. It's a weapon for what is good. It's a weapon for our benefit. The primary victim of this weapon ultimately is the evil one himself. But sometimes it surgically removes from us the cancers that infect us. And like many medical procedures, sometimes it's painful. I pray for your church. We lift before you the voices of people around the world, for there are some today, you know it well, Lord, who who face the real backlash in the world and who will face the fury of those who do not like this message. And as they proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and as they proclaim the anointed one, the Christ, in their time and place where they live, there will be some hatred that is returned unto them. But for some, for some, it will be a sweet-smelling aroma and it will, be, it will not be the smell of death to them, but of life. And you will call people through those voices. And so for us here, hearing this word today, pray for, the, for this application for us. If there be any of us here, and we just haven't, we haven't known how public we should be, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to know how to say, what to say, but to keep it always within your will. Begin with your word and then expound faithfully upon it as we understand it better and better. All to your glory as you work through us in the world. These things we leave in your capable hands. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And amen.